In this special episode of the 90s and Noughties UK podcast, I talk to actor Martin Delaney about his experience of working on Nickelodeon's Renford Rejects and find out what he's been up to since then. This is 90s and Noughties UK, a podcast on UK pop culture of the 90s and 2000s. If you want to contact the show, email 90sandnoughties at gmail.com, tweet us on at 90sandnoughtiesuk on Twitter, or check us out on Facebook, 90sandnoughtiesuk. I'm joined by yet another reject. This time, Martin Delaney, aka Jason Summerby, joins me uh, to talk about the uh, the show, obviously, and uh, the experience of working on the show, and and uh, also a little bit later as well, what he's doing these days. Welcome to the podcast, Martin. How is your current situation? How how are you um, fixed right now? Hi, Jamie. Yeah, thank you very much. I mean, thanks for um, for asking me to be on the show. And uh, I can't believe there's so many Rejects fans out there these days. It's amazing. Um, yeah, it's still, it's, it's lovely. Yeah, this whole lockdown thing has been pretty strange, as it has for everyone. Um, I'm now in what's a sort of makeshift home studio, which is essentially in my cupboard in my house. Uh, Because my wife and I do a lot of voice work from home as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a a whole new normal. And uh, and it's great to be able to chat about something that we made years ago and and still have a lot of fondness for. So thank you for, for having me on. No, that's quite... Um, all right. I mean, it's it's uh, it's so good to be able to talk to you because I am such a fan of this show. I have watched those episodes so <laughs> many um, times, as has I am one of those fans. So don't don't worry. I try not to get too geeky here. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, not at all. It's it's you know, it's really quite flattering that it's had such an impact on people. Um, and largely, I, I guess, because of Nickelodeon running it for so long. But yeah, it was it was a fun time. So pl- yeah, please ask away and 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 please don't worry. Well, I mean, the first thing was, I mean, it, it came out in 1998, and it's the 20th anniversary this year of it uh, of it leaving. It ran for four series and uh, yes. over 50 episodes, which I still have to pinch myself. It's like that's a lot of episodes. But yeah. how did it start for you? Where did um, where did the uh, the journey begin? Yeah, I mean. First of all, just it's quite interesting what you were saying there about the episodes in in terms of content size. Um, as we look at it a lot as content these days, but it's uh, at the time I know that um, the producer behind the show, Steve Baywell, was really um, looking at this stuff in the way that people looked at content like The Simpsons, where you could you could buy a a, a project and you'd have this package of so many episodes. So the plan was always to try and get a load of episodes done. Um, and we did it for as long as we could and as, before we all started looking a bit older. Um, and we, we would, you know, be shooting sort of 13, ep- 13 episodes a season um, with the possibility, I think, every year we, w- we were maybe going to do two seasons back to back and do 26. Um, it never really worked out that way. We ended up just having a year off in between. 
But yeah, it was a load of episodes, as you mentioned there. But yeah, I, I got started in it much like everyone else. You know, I was, I'd started um, doing some acting as a sort of teenager. I'd started to really, you know, understand that I, w- I wanted to be involved in acting in some way and, and did some stuff at school and all this kind of stuff, like a lot of young people. And uh, I had, so my history at that point was that I had... Um, joint, I'd, I'd, I'd landed a job in the West End doing a musical in London. And I don't, I don't come from a musical background, like I'm not much of a singing and dancing family. Um, and my, my parents didn't really know anything about acting. Um, they were big fans of, of cinema and TV, but, but didn't really know much about the, that world. And I'd done a play at school because my teachers were trying to encourage me. And then I went for a, an open audition for a musical in, in the West End, which was Oliver at the Palladium. And I got in it weirdly, um, after queuing up with all these kids. And so in the meantime, I joined a young person's agency, like an acting agency. I was about 15. Yeah, I just, you know, I, I didn't know much about this world, but then I'd go up for auditions, right? I'd get, you know, my agent uh, as a teenager would would call my folks or call the house at least and say, right, you know, you've you've got to go for this job. Um, uh, and, and here's the stuff, you know, here's what you've got to look into or learn or... You know, so that that we used to, I I'd go for a few auditions. I did the odd little bit of landed a bit of TV, and I I'd sort of started to make some projects, um, very small episodes and stuff, uh, pie in the sky, and all these sort of dramas that were on in the nineties as well, and just yeah went along to an audition uh, as ever. L- learned like this these lines for Jason, who was, as you know, mouthy and cocky and and uh, a pain in the backside. Um, yeah, and and just kept going for different rounds. And I remember we had a a big audition at the Actors Centre, which is in central London, near near um sort of between Leicester Square and Seven Dials. And uh, there was quite a few kids or young people, you know, in these auditions and going into rooms and coming out. And so we sort of got a glimpse of some of the people that were going in as well and going out for different parts. Uh, got to read with a couple of them. I think I read with. Charlie Rowlands, I think, in in that audition there at some point, Ben and we played Ben Phillips, Ben and I, and then eventually we we went to a final audition, which was at where Renford Rec was, which was Wilsden Wilsden Football Pitch Park or whatever, and uh, that was brutal because there was like t- you know two of each of us, you know, we really got to see the other people that were auditioning for these roles. And we had to play quite a lot of football. I think the thing that people maybe don't know, I don't know if Roger mentioned this or the guys mentioned this, is that we needed to be all right at football because there were moments where we would always look pretty good and then there were moments where we would look really crap, uh, which was the majority of the time. So they needed us to be relatively fit and relatively capable so that when there was a moment of like, okay, then Jason does this, it it, it could be okay. Um, so football actually featured quite heavily in that final audition and and knowing that we could we could sort of play a bit and handle it and and I'm not much of a footballer I've got to be honest I'm I'm all right but my brother was a pro footballer um so we had a bit of football background in our in our family certainly my dad was a a good footballer and and we have another professional in the family uh, and then way back we have another star so um yeah football had always featured in our in our lives um so it was a really cool job to go for and it made a lot of sense. I was going to play someone who was a bit crap, which in my family unit, I felt I, I sort of identified with that because I was nowhere near as good as my brother. 
So it was like, oh yeah, I could play a, a rubbish footballer. That would make sense. Um, so yeah, that's I just went along and and landed that landed the part, which was amazing. Just such good fun, you know, and exciting. Yeah, I mean, it's it started off. I mean, the way that uh, that Roger and Tom have talked about it, you were filming mm. sort of in the summertime, and it was something very kind of magical about it. Yeah, I mean, I think especially for guys like Tom and Roger and I, I think we were we were the younger ones in the show. You know, I was. 17 I think when I started Matthew Leach who played Stuart was older and, and had finished drama school so he was you know at least at least 21 22 the same with Paul Paris who played Bruno Paul was I think 22 or 23 when he started the show so these guys had you know Matt had been through drama school Paul had had you know a, a screen career of, of sorts and had, and um, and had a real um, background in the industry but Rog and, and Tom and I were quite young and quite close to the age of the, the kids we were playing and I guess relatively inexperienced in comparison. Um, so, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun being able to just go, you know, we shot the pilot, then we waited. We actually shot the pilot in 20, uh, sorry, 20, uh, 1996. Um, and then I think we came back to film in 1997, the actual series, with a couple of adjustments to the pilot. Um, and then, yeah, and then it releasing in, in, I think it would have been about springtime, uh, 1998. So yeah, we, we would, it would be when we, I was doing A-levels at the time when I was filming that show and it was deliberately, I guess, through the, the summer break where they knew they could get, get everyone for longer. Um, but I loved it. I mean, the idea that we could just get together and, and have a lot of fun together and play football, um, and enjoy those varying British summers. <laughs> uh, it was good. Yeah, it was, it was. There's some really, really positive memories of that time for sure. So you mentioned the pilot there, which you shot. Mm. You say in around '96. Yeah, the year is earlier. that the same? That like, did they? Um, did you reshoot that, or is there like another pilot floating around somewhere? No, that. So what we actually shot really interesting. Well. Uh, say it's interesting it probably isn't interesting because i'm not that interesting but um there was we shot the pilot with an actor called campbell morrison playing eddie um so we had a different guy playing eddie you'll notice that like i'm a right chubby little upstart in in the in the first episodes and then and then like as the seasons go on i lose a bit of weight and that's because you know the pilot and the rest of even even season one there's a year between it so by by a year, the following summer, I was I, physically I was a little bit different, um, but we reshot re some of that episode where Eddie was in it, and so there's actually a really funny bit at the end. It's a real like Easter egg. If you watch the end of the first episode, one of the guys, you'll see that when Holly Davidson's character scores a goal, I think it's like we score one goal. I can't really remember, but we. Mm -hmm. We're being you'll know you'll know better than me, Jamie. Do we yeah. lose that game against the Razors? Is that what happens? Yeah, five one. And so we score one goal, is that right? Yes. So we so Holly scores that goal, Robin scores, and then at the end we're all over the moon because we got a goal. And so we're cheering and and you'll notice that in the park a man runs over and hugs us all. That is the old actor who played Eddie in that scene. <laughs> 
and then Alex Norton is is never replaced in that scene. We never shot that end of that football match again. So the end of the football match, just some random guy runs up and starts hugging us all. And that is the old Eddie, um, which is still in episode one, I believe. That's a bit weird. That's genius. I mean, <laughs> was was there a reason why they replaced that actor? Do you know? Yeah, good question. No, actually, I don't. I don't think there was a problem as such. I think. Well, I, I think it was just more about schedules and stuff. I think uh, Campbell couldn't make the show the following year or, or something like that. Um, and actually, my God, you know, much as Campbell was a a lovely guy and a, and a lovely actor, and when we ended up with Alex Norton, who's just brilliant and a fine actor and and someone I always admired anyway I'd seen him pop up in in screen work before and and really identified with you know with his work I you know he was a young actor too he'd been a a sort of teenage actor and had then carried on through the years um and a really 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 lovely actor lovely guy and so he and he and Sally Kinghorn were on the job Sally always played um Priscilla you know, in the and they they were, they were actual partners in real life. Sally and and Alex were together, and so when I think when the when the problem you know when the problems came up around schedule, I don't know if they went to Sally or spoke to her at all. But Alex had done a lot of screen work and obviously went for the job and landed it. So Sally and Alex were were working together pretty regularly on on the same gig, which must have been a lot of fun. Well, you've told me something I didn't know. Um, uh-huh. I was not aware of that whatsoever but it does bring up that um as you point out there you worked with um a lot of more kind of experienced actors including as you say mm-hmm. alex norton and and sally and yeah. of course bill homewood um, yeah. who we've had on the podcast yeah. who um He's is a lovely guy yeah. quite a character off and um on He's, screen absolutely i mean did so you did an interview with with bill didn't you i had a little listen yeah. to some of that stuff i mean he's just He's just a lovely guy. You know, he's one of these guys because obviously being the 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 rival but was in that first episode as the as a teacher who's acting as a kind of foil for us immediately. We're the reason. Sorry, he's the reason of course. None of us get into the school team. And Bill just had this Bill's such a lovely man and he's been he's had an amazing career and he's just he was always so kind to us. You know, I think we were really lucky on that show in that all the adults that we had, older adults that were working with us, were just so affectionate and 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 kind. They all had a lot of time for us and a lot of respect. And I think it's quite you know there's this whole this whole myth right in in in, in TV and film and theatre where you don't work with children or animals. And some of us were pretty immature kids at that time. You know we we were teenagers but we were youngsters. You know, and I just I'm so grateful for how well they treated us all and how patient they were with us and and how nurturing you know and bill is absolutely uh, a champion at that you know he was really good to work with we actually got to do a fair few bits especially in the later seasons and we had a lovely episode together where he sort of brings me into the under the wing of the razors and 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 so i sort of double cross them but he he's just such a charming man and good fun and i my fondest memories of Bill were when we all went away in season four and uh, we all got to go to Sardinia to shoot and we filmed three episodes over there and so we all really got to hang out as well so we were not only filming these few episodes in Sardinia but then it meant that when we went away from the set in the evening we were all in the same hotels so we could 
have dinner and, and, and drinks together. And obviously we were all that little bit older than I was sort of 20 by the time the show was finishing, 19, 20. So we we could, you know, actually get to, to, to know them, you know, in a different in a different way. So when you're away on a job, it's always the sort of luxury of the work, you know, that you, you get to sort of know each other and, and, and bond a bit better, um, which we, we thankfully did. Um, yeah, lovely man. It does seem as though... Um in the history of this program, all the time you were making it, that that trip to Sardinia has kind of crossed into mythical legend um, well, I think, somewhat. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was so unusual. You know, we for a start, the show was um, quite unusual in a number of reasons, in, sorry, in a number of ways and for a number of reasons for us because it was shot quite uniquely for a, a show of that period and, and for a kid's show. And... You know, we'd been filming in West London for for three seasons. You know, we we really got used to knowing what we would, you know, how the show, show ran. We were like, okay, yeah, here it is again. We we come up and we work here and we play football and we do this. And uh, but then season four started and Stephen was like, as our exec producer, he said, we're going to do f- three episodes away now this season. We were like, what? Yeah, we're going to go to Sardinia. I mean, I'd barely heard of Sardinia at that point. I didn't really know much about about the place. As it happens, I've been really, really lucky um, to work there a, a, a number of times over the years since I finished that show and beyond as an actor, uh, including only a couple of years ago, I worked on George Clooney's Catch-22 show and we shot that out there again. And uh, it's a beautiful place. And yeah, it became this really gorgeous kind of retreat in the middle of uh, the middle of season four where we were like, right, we're going to we're going now going to go and do these kind of really beautiful episodes in the sunshine. It's like, wow, how lucky are we? We get to, we don't have to wait for any uh, cloud cover and any any rain coming through the shot. You know, we can really just keep going and explore these really unusual ideas, which we did. Do you know which which episodes were shot in Sardinia, Jamie? Do you know which ones? I want to say uh, you did a Western parody which might yes. have been shot over there um yeah. you did one uh on the beach somewhere uh beach ball yeah. i want to say and uh there was also the uh, the roman takeoff um not yeah that was so rome was in like series three i think mm-hmm. or so or series two series three i think so so it's a really weird one because it didn't really need to be over there apart from they've got beautiful golf courses it was the golf episode when we we sh- we shot that in in Sardinia as well. So yeah, the the cowboy, which was mad fun, but like nuts, <laughs> um, like what? Um, uh, Alexi Sale came and joined us in in that episode. He's a really lovely guy and a good friend of Stevens. And actually, Alexi, as you, as you'll know, sort of popped up in an earlier series, just doing like a couple of lines, you know, because he's a pal of Steve's. And and Steve was like, "You're coming back, and I'm going to make sure it's a nice episode." So. When Sardinia, the the Wild West episode was going to happen, it was like, "Yep, come on." So Alexi really kindly came out and, and did that with us, and uh, and Bill got to do some lovely stuff in there and really show off his horse riding. He's a great horse rider, Bill, and I'm a pretty good horse rider as well. So it's nice. It was nice to have a go at all that stuff. I don't think I was much good then, <laughs> but um, yeah, the great fun. I mean, what a, what a trip, you know, and and the golf stuff as well. Yeah, and it introduced, certainly uh, in the later series, the idea mm. of the fantasy 
episodes. That's kind yeah. of what I've labelled them anyway, the, the kind of fantasy episodes, the one where you're not just stuck in one place, as you say, you got to go out and kind of explore different stories. Yeah, I think it's funny because like the show, the show, I don't know if people knew this, but the show was nominated for a, a BAFTA in season one. It was up for, you know, best young uh, drama, I think. And actually, it's not, it's funny because it was really lovely to get nominated and a real, we all got to go and, 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 and be there and stuff. But it was, it was really like a comic show more than it was a drama. And Steve's whole premise with the show was to really make this kind of cartoon with actors. That was what he wanted. So that's why the show's really colourful. You know, you'll notice that people always talk about the strips we were wearing. But I was kind of known for wearing that whole city shirt um, with this random, like, green shorts and then bright orange socks. And the idea was that, you know, you'd look at that and be like, OK, that just looks like this. And, the, and you'll notice as well that we never you know, we never change out of those clothes. You know, I'm in this, I'm in my school uniform, Jason's kind of training kit or our, um, uh, Renford rejects football shirt, a uh, football strip. There's the occasional little tweak actually when, a, when we had a different costume designer for one of the seasons and actually they, we quickly went back to the old costume designer. Um, but you know, Steve really wanted us to be like, no, they just look like that. When you see them, they look like that all the time, and that's very much a cartoon trope, right? You know that you, you don't, they don't ever really change out of the, the clothing they're in. Like Donald Duck is is noticeable because of the fact that it's it's just a blue jacket and the hat, and that's it. And and so there was a real decision to sort of keep it quite bright, quite colourful, and so there was this sense that even though we'd explored some quite bizarre ideas in the early seasons we'd not really gone down a major fantasy route which of course we could because the remit was a cartoon with actors and so yeah it was yeah we, we started to explore some of those nutty ideas and um some of them worked and some some of them didn't but um it was good fun i mean we we had a lot of fun making them especially the roman episode um yeah the rome episode was great yeah it, it looks fun you know do you always look like you had a great uh, sort of camaraderie with things now to talk about the earlier seasons where it was as you say sort of a cartoony type thing but a little bit more laid back jason's character i mean he's often compared <laughs> these days to jay from the inbetweeners but i always think of like um colin from press gang which was yes. a show a, a few years earlier um they're, sure, they're almost sure. You know, even um, I think it was uh, Paul Reynolds that played the character, I want to say. And you're pretty much same hairstyle, same style going on, same kind of yeah. act. I mean, was that inspired in any way, the character of Jason, by um, basically anything before it? Yeah, interesting question. I mean, I think you're really like onto something, I think, in terms of like trends that were coming up in shows. Press Gang was great, but I, I didn't I didn't watch a whole lot of it. Um, but I think certainly in terms of formula in writing, I think you're absolutely right that these characters come up again and again in some form. And, and James Buckley, actually, and I, who played Jay in The Inbetweeners, got to chat when we did a job together a few years back, um, Rock and Chips, which is a sort of Only Fools and Horses prequel. And we were talking because he did love the show. And and so we've sort of joked about it a little bit before on social media. But, um, but yeah, it, you know, I think, you know... You, you do see these kind of these tropes and these characters come up a, a hell of a lot. But actually, I think what I was trying to bring 
interestingly, because we, we then worked together on Rock and Chips, but I was trying to bring a sort of Del Boy element from Only Fools to, to Renford Rejects. That was That's how I saw him. You know, we had these character biographies when we were starting the show that were really in-depth, that, that Stephen designed with um, Chris Wilson and Patrick Buckley, who were the writers. And they were really beautiful because they gave you so much backstory about these people and so much to get your teeth into. And actually, loads of it was never going to be explored on screen, but it meant that you could play that. So the fact that like, I knew when I was playing that character, for example, that Jason was from a working-class broken home. You know, I was aware that that was his upbringing. His father wasn't around. He sort of idolised his father. And I think you still get a little bit of the pain of that in that guy. You know, all of his bravado, all of his, like, showing and trying to be, um, talk himself up comes from really deep down feeling like he's no one. And and season one goes near that a little bit in the exploration of him not having enough money and, and not being able to do the same things as the other rejects can do. Um, but ultimately it just it just cements the character and cement and holds the performance. You don't need to see that coming up again, or it just helps you to understand where he comes from or what, you know, why does, you know, psychologically speaking, why is someone so cocky, so confident, have so much, um, I guess, uh, confidence in themselves, regardless of their true ability. Um, it must come from, you know, t- to put on such a show, it obviously comes from not really thinking much of yourself truly. And so we were lucky to have those that background explored for us when we landed the roles. And and I and it's something that I've chatted about occasionally on social media when people have asked me about it, is that Jason's Jason's dad, he'd sort of held up as this amazing footballer and, and the reality was that his dad had played for whole city reserves, you know, and, and, and not much either. So Jason, even though a Londoner, had had sort of idolized his father his missing father now you know and uh yeah it's, it was a lovely thing to sort of have in there and, and to be able to play oh there was i mean it sounds like they really thought of everything and when i think of the character of jason when i'm looking at it with my creative productive head on all mm. i keep thinking is you had so many lines at such a speed <laughs> I mean, how much of it was what was written down on the paper and how much of it was you improvising? Well, I think, I think we, were, we were really lucky. You know, I was talking about the adult actors in the show earlier who were really, really generous with us and, and pretty forgiving when we were, you know, being a bit of a pain in the arse or whatever. But actually, I think one of the things that really comes across in the show, look, it's been a long time since I've watched some episodes back, but one of the things I know I enjoyed at the time was that I felt very secure being in the show. And and what I mean by that is that we were really trusted as performers. I mean, we were young people. And, and some, as I say, some of us younger than others, um, especially in the main cast. But this um, American sort of producers who were making the show were really careful about their casting. And then there was a lot of, a lot, and then there was a lot of trust given to us when we were on the shoot. So we'd spend four weeks rehearsing. I mean, it's unheard of now in television and film but we would spend four weeks rehearsing the scripts and playing football and getting ready and then a further seven weeks i think filming where we would film two episodes a week now 
what happened in that rehearsal period is we'd have a rough go at choreographing some of the scenes so that we were getting in the flow of this kind of new way of working. We'd also get fit, but we would also discuss the scripts. So we'd have a round table with the with with Stephen Baywall and Chris and Patrick. We'd read through the scripts together on the first couple of days and really dis, really unpack them like you would do in theatre. So we'd go, actually, what do we think about this? And is this realistic? Is How do we feel about that? And these people were asking us as well. You know, that was what was incredible. You know, what do you think about this? What do you think? And we were really given this permission to support the project in the way that I support a project when I go on a, on a, on a set now where your, 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 your input is somewhat valued. But actually, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't usual when I was a young actor. People didn't often value your input at all. But Stephen was always trying to nurture this atmosphere where it's like, okay, can you create a bit of business in the background of this scene? Can you do, what can you guys do in the back of this scene while this is going on? Or, you know, so the the ad lib nature of the show was nurtured. It wasn't always stuff that came up on the day. It's something we'd planned in rehearsals. But often there were massive chunks that came up in the day and, and Roger and I had a lot of fun doing that stuff. We loved messing around and, and trying to bring new stuff into it and I guess make each other laugh a little bit <laughs> yeah which I'm sure people will be going back now to look to see uh, you know what it is you're referring to if indeed you're yeah. referring to anything in particular but there was such an unusual way and we've touched upon, um, upon this on previous podcasts uh, with guests from the show that you um, worked on that it was such an unusual way of of working because you'd have sort of three to five minute scenes with no cuts whatsoever and you'd have a jib shot sort of just moving and again um working with people like bill who are probably used to memorizing a lot of dialogue and knowing exactly where and and thank you for for telling us actually that you had so much rehearsal, I suppose it was second nature, but it must have still been quite a, a training ground for you working in that environment. Absolutely. Look, it's a, fu- it's a funny show because, you know, look, I, I still get the piss taken out of me for, for being in that show. And actually people are, are quite funny about, I get this quite a lot as well. People are quite funny because of the age they watched it and when it was on. You know, a lot of people were watching it in their teens and a bit younger and, you know, what do we, you know, in terms of, I, I know my own memories of being a teenager. There's a lot of rebellious stuff going on and there's a lot of like rejecting, ironically, a lot of what's going on in your life. And so people often say to me in a quiet moment, I used to watch that show and they're kind of embarrassed that they used to watch it because it's a, sh- a show about a bunch of losers. And it really shows where people are in terms of psyche because it's not a show about a bunch of winners. There's this kind of shame about, enjoying it in the past and people and i find that comes up quite a lot i find that quite funny and i still get a lot of stick for it you know regardless of you know the work i've done or whatever um but people have a real fondness for it but i think the real intention with steve was to get us in the swing of working that way we didn't really rehearse the hell out of stuff but we got used to him coming in and saying okay so let's look at this four page scene and we're going to work on some choreography now and we're going to see if we can pick it up. And, and you know, so we'd be walking around with the scripts in our hands doing this kind of uh, fluid kind of camera work. For those people that don't really know much about it, it's that Rejects was shot on a handheld camera and the scenes were quite choreographed. As Jamie said there, the, they were like three, four, three, you know, three to five minute scenes sometimes where everything was quite intricate and in where you stood. 
And that was quite cinematic. It's quite unusual. Most TV shows, you, you do coverage where you shoot a wide shot, you do a close-up or a medium shot, and then you do that on every person, and then the editor cuts it together. And in, in Rejects, we would choreograph the scene so that the scene meant that everyone was in vision or not, as required, as they said the lines, and then that's the scene. The scene doesn't need any editing, it's done. But then, you know, you might... You know, what that meant is we would do, like, 20 takes. We would do, like, 15 takes of scenes, which is quite unusual, you know? And... um and I know the jib operators who, who you know, the, these are the guys that, that man the crane. They loved doing the show because as a jib operator, your main job was to go along to soaps or, or, or shows that, you know, doing some dramas or whatever. And they were used to shoot establishing shots of buildings. So this cafe. And then that's, that's your work done. All right, fine. You've done your, you know, establishing shots. Thank you. Bye. And in Rejects, we would choreograph whole scenes around the jib arm. So the guy, Mike, who was our jib operator for most of the time, would would come in and, and, and you know, pick up a two-shot with me and someone else, for example, and then we'd walk and the, and the crane would move and then it would go over and around us and find someone else and then they would start talking. And it was the same sort of choreography as we had in the cafe, but it was all done on a crane, which was really unusual. So the jib operators loved doing it. Mike loved doing the show because it meant he could be creative and it was really unusual it was really cinematic and it was really for a kids show it was pretty unusual and um, there's don't get me wrong there's problems with that too I think D did you notice any problems with that Jamie when you watch the show well I mean I, I assume majority of the issues are edited out but is there anything that comes to mind for you when you, you think of issues I think just in terms of, look, I, I work a bit behind the camera now as well. And I think the things that, that come up as being problematic is that, yes, you can't edit your way out of a problem. But um, also it meant that sometimes I think jokes were lost because actually some of the writing was pretty good. And there were moments where you really needed the pace of someone coming in with their punchline or their, or at least their cue line for someone else pretty quickly. Now, if you're waiting for a camera operator to get into position and you're choreographing that scene you can lose something you can lose energy and of course in the edit normally with normal footage you can go and speed up the reaction time between those two people because you can take a bit of the space out you can't do that in a scene that you've choreographed with everyone in it so it had its challenges not just for us as actors but i think in terms of like what you're left with at the other side um but it was a beautiful training ground for us it was a really effective training ground because it just meant you had to be on it you know you really had to be in the moment and on it and I think it certainly taught me a lot certainly about camera work my my love of 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 directing and and being interested in behind the camera came from Pierre Boffetti who was our DP on the show French guy and Pierre had won the equivalent of like a French Academy Award um, for documentary filmmaking and he had this very particular style where he would hold the camera on his shoulder, have like a handheld and he was doing handheld work before other people because it had been his bread and butter in documentary. Um, so, you know, my love of, of all of that work and, and a lot of my nurturing experience on the show came from working closely with Pierre. He's a really good guy. And it, it's where the unique 
look of it comes from and certainly to a, a non-fan you know if you were to explain the rejects yeah. you think well you know they're all regular actors just doing their job but you had um lots of guest stars on there as well who perhaps yeah. weren't used to working in that um particular environment that's i mean right. did you know what was that like yeah that's right it's funny that because it's it's um, it's not something that I look back on and notice. I think everyone who came in took it really well. And I think, generally speaking, our football was still shot. We used a lot of crane shots and stuff in the football stuff, but generally speaking, we would alter the way we shot some of the football stuff a bit differently. You'd have the normal cuts um, in there. But yeah, you're right. So it must be a bit of an ask for people coming in. But we did have some wonderful guest stars, and you wouldn't have known they were trying to adjust to that. Um and I think normally when you, you go and do a TV job or a film job, you're used to doing maybe, you know, on a film or whatever, you're used to doing like maybe a couple of scenes like that throughout the whole film where it's all one shot and you're really like pumped and you know that they're going to... But actually to do every scene like that is a, is a bit tricky. Um, but um, yeah, we were really lucky. I mean, look, gosh, you know, Tony Slattery coming in and, and just being brilliant. I mean, he was lovely and... Alexi obviously coming in a couple of times. David Bedil came and did a, an episode. You know, this is the height of, you know, him and Frank Skinner, you know, mm -hmm. doing their stuff. And he's just like, yeah, I'm going to go and do this little kids football show. <laughs> um, and then all the players, you know, we were so lucky with the players. Oh, I mean, it was, I, I think, I mean, I know this is a 90s and noughties podcast. I'm supposed to gush over the period, but it really was a <laughs> golden period for, um, for for football in general, because certainly when yeah. the rejects first came up, we were just about to go into the World Cup. We'd had obviously yeah. Euro '96, and um, by the time you'd finished, you'd had um, Euro 2000 into the yeah. next World Cup. It was very much, you know, Beckham, Skulls, Giggs, you know, these massive yeah. players. And of course, some of the stars that you guys had, including Zola, Keown, for one episode, yeah. um, with that wonderful plot twist at the end um it's it's an amazing it's thing it's it's one for any writer i would suggest going to look at because yeah. it's it's a very basic thing you know and, and you keep describing it as a kid's show but there was a lot in that writing that was a lot cleverer than perhaps you'd you'd think for a kid's show that's a really interesting point and i think that was really conscious you know there was a you know there's a it's funny the amount of people that you know that aren't ashamed to talk about how much they loved it talking about how they watch it now and really love it go, revisiting the show there's lots of madness and over-the-top performances and we you know we would that's we were doing this kind of heightened style of of acting um but yeah i think what you know when you look back i mean gosh there was so many so many you know good guest stars coming in and and doing i mean that episode in particular is so so lovely gosh i can't remember what you asked me then um <laughs> well mainly about the writing yeah um, that, that's it sorry i lost i lost my thread no, uh, that's all right i'm yeah i'm doing a proper jason now just like off in my own world um <laughs> no it was <laughs> it was what was amazing is that it was a really conscious effort from the guys stephen wanted to he had this, I mean, he remember, I remember him talking to us in series one and he said, you know, and it's really the model that Pixar followed when they started launching into the, into the sort of, into the cinema stuff and before Disney took them on. But Steve was like, you know, if we get kids decide what goes on in, in, in the house, he was really in touch with that. 
And he said, you know, so if we get the kids, which we're going to, this is a Nickelodeon show, we have to understand that we're getting the parents. And that's why our guest stars were people like, I mean, Brian Sewell, the art, the art, you know, critic coming in to do an episode. No kid's going to know who the hell Brian Sewell is, you know, in an artist episode. But adults knew who Brian Sewell was then. You know, no, no kids knew who David Baddiel was, even though, we'd, as you said, we had all the, you know, Euro 96 stuff. Adults knew exactly who he was. You know, Alexi Sale, his audience base also were adults, you know, of my parents' age who loved his work. Um, and so there was this real sense of when we get the guest stars, this is where we're aiming because this is where we've got to satisfy. So, you know, having Peter Shilton come in to do an episode, having the 66 World Cup team come and do an episode, again, no no kids are going to really care about who those guys are. It was just so the folks at home watching, if they managed to watch it with their kids, or were like, what's that? They'd be like, what's, what's Jeff Hurst? What's Sir Jeff Hurst doing in this kids' football show? Um, <laughs> and Stan Bowles, you know. Stan and, and I became really good friends after shooting the show. And my dad, he's my, you know, my dad loved him as a footballer. And uh, and being a big footballing family, we all we all sort of got on like a house on fire. But yeah, I mean, it was it was really quite. They were trying to aim for that bit older at the same time, which I think was really quite clever. Which is, I think, something that kind of harks back to what they were doing, um, certainly in in British children's television in the 60s and 70s where they realized yeah. that adults were watching as well so they'd put these little things in um but that's you know that's a subject for another day but i i find um thank you for being so honest by the way about how this show was made and and all the tiny little um bits and pieces and i realize you know as we said earlier it's been 20 years since yeah. it's ended and hmm. uh have have you seen much of your fellow cast members from that show? Yeah, I mean, little bits and pieces. I mean, it's it's a weird one, isn't it? Because it's, um, as you say, I mean, gosh, finished 20 years ago. And and I think in terms of how it was made, that sticks in my mind because I, I had an interest in that world. Um, but yeah, I mean, Matt Leach and I are, you know, good pals and we've not seen each other for a little bit and obviously with this lockdown stuff. But um you know, we, we, we hung out a lot more, actually, once we finished the shoot. Actually, when Matt, when, by the time Matt left, we were both living around the same area and, and, and uh, became really good pals. And so by the time I was of my drinking age, then we could sort of go out and hang out a lot more. Um, and Roger and I still catch up. Roger's a, he's such a good guy. And uh, he was over from Los Angeles not, not that long ago before all the lockdown stuff as well. And we caught up and reminisced. And Roger and I actually got to work together again post-Rejects. We got to do a, a soap together um, yeah, in England yeah. for a while. Yeah, yeah. he told me about that. Yeah, it, it was weird because you guys sort of became friends on the show. Yeah, that's it. I mean, they kind of brought him in as a sort of, I guess, as a character that was going to sort of be... I was playing another bad boy, you know, in this kind of soap and playing another sort of, you know problematic <laughs> teenager uh stroke young adult um in family affairs and 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 rog followed me in and came in a little while later well, yeah we had some lovely stuff together we had some you know playing dodgy lads together um i stuck around it a little bit longer and then and then and then left and 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 so we, but it's just it's really lovely getting to work with people you know pretty well like that again and uh 
and Tom lives not like not too far from me and 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 knows the family I know his family we Tom and I weirdly went to school together um which is a really weird coincidence we went to a school in Chislehurst um and actually a lot of people came out of that school that that have stuck in the in the in the arts and, and the performing world like my cousin was there for a while Kevin Bishop who's a comedy actor um Tom was obviously there um Rob Beckett um comedian was was also at this school and and, and Tom Allen as well a lot of comedy people um and uh the school really nurtured this kind of this kind of stuff they were really good at at, at keeping the kind of performing arts and and stuff alive in the school um and so weirdly Tom and I had been to school with each other briefly before he went off he switched schools so we'd sort of known each other. We were in opposite sides of the year group, so we didn't get to see each other that much. But we sort of knew of each other. And then in season one, he wasn't around that much, so we didn't really get a chance to bond in the same way. But he's such a good guy and a lovely actor. And so we got to see a bit more of each other as as the series went on. And and as I say, he's, he doesn't live too far at all and from, from where I am now. And uh, so every now and then, we're, we're lucky enough to see each other. But... um. Holly Davidson as well is is, a, is an old friend and 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 we still keep in touch. But um, there's a few of the guys I've just not seen for a while, you know, as ever. You know, people kind of go off and do their own thing and 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 yeah, it'd be good to good to catch up. Well, hopefully that that can happen. Certainly, once all the lockdown stuff is over, and I realise I wouldn't personally ask this question, mm-hmm. but I know that there are fans that are probably screaming at whatever device they're listening to this on. <laughs> Where is Adam Dean? I don't know. It's a really it's a really funny one. Someone who, someone tweeted me about that a while ago, did they? And they, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I don't know what's happened to Adam. He's a you know lovely lad, and. Um, and uh, obviously was just around for a couple of seasons and I've I've not seen him for years. I've not seen Paul for years. Matt and I saw Lucy, bumped into Lucy a little while afterwards and obviously she's doing really well. And But I, I there's a, like Charlie, uh, I've not, who played Ben, um, we were really close and, and again, we've not seen each other for a long time just because of the way our lives went. He lives down by the coast now. But he's a really good lad. I mean, he's, he was always really funny, super funny, and uh, and a good fella, really great actor. And um, yeah, so you know, it's it's we, we some of us have just not. I think Paul lives. Does Paul live abroad now or something? I don't know. But there's there's some of the some of the guys I've just not seen for such a long time. As you quite rightly say, you've all had uh, your own direction to go in since the show yeah. ended. I mean, you, you've done loads of stuff haven't you you mentioned rock and chips earlier which you did i saw you in um josh widdicombe's sitcom oh yeah quite recently which was uh which was very good in um in a in, yeah um an indian restaurant um <laughs> that was, basically uh, playing an idiot again um is that is that a typecasting thing or is that just are you just, just really me, good Jamie. At, yeah that's just right me. no <laughs> it's <laughs> no i think it's it's look it's uh I have been really lucky over the years to sort of um, do a lot of varied work, but I think in in British comedy, you know, I, I did like him and her, and which is a lovely show, and 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 Josh and t- two pints of lager years ago as well, and and the sort of comedy work I do, I tend to sort of play uh, a very close or version of uh a chap that's quite similar to Jason I think you know this that 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 lad who thinks they're nothing inside and then has to cover it all up with all this bravado 
Um, and and I think Josh was a really good example of that. That episode of Josh, where this, I was playing this guy who kind of fooled around behind his fiance's back, all all these all these, and has actually slept with BT Edmondson's character before. And Josh and and Ellis were supposed to have known him from university, and they're in the same restaurant, and he's. He's got no sense. He's got no shame. This guy. So he's got no sense of he's sharing a table with these two guys that don't really like him and a girl that he slept with while he was, you know, with his fiance or to, or to be fiance, and has no shame in still proposing to her in front of all these people, even though you know he, you know he's it's not the best idea. Um, so yeah, I, I, I've been really lucky, you know, to sort of i'm sort of a, a you know people ask me to play that kind of role every now and then and i did a lovely pilot for the bbc a little while back called Hailmakers, um with a wonderful producer writer john mcqueen who i really like his work and um a similar type of guy really but in in film and television in drama it's i've been really lucky in that i, I tend to play some parts where i don't use my own accent and 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 very different types of characters and especially the american stuff so yeah i mean it's you know, I think I, actors always tend to have a little bit of a niche in places, and uh, I think I've been lucky enough that it's been varied enough to keep me to keep me interested and 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 keep me going. Thank God. And when you're you're doing these roles, because you, you've done TV, you've done uh, film, mm. and um, have you done a bit of stage work as well? Yeah, I started in musical theatre and did a couple of musicals in the West End for a few for a few years, really, and then. I went like I've been back on stage in sort of you know not I've not done a musical for years but like in straight theatre for like uh, every now and then. In fact, Mo George, who came in and did season four um, and replaced Matt when he left, Mo George and I had done a play for a lovely writer called called Roy Williams, who's a fantastic uh, theatre writer, and uh, Roy's Roy one of Roy's plays we did at the um, over in Swiss Cottage at the Hampstead Theatre years ago. And in fact, it was in between seasons. So Steve Baywell, I don't know if Mo knows this even, but Steve Baywell, who produced Renford Rejects, came to watch me in that play and Mo was in it with me. And so Mo, I don't think he landed the part because he was in that and Steve remembered him, but they got him in the room. He's a great actor. And so when he was in the room, they just smashed it. And so, you know, he ended up coming in and playing Dennis. But, you know, doing that play, which was also about a working class kind of young, rough and ready football team um, at the time. That's it was definitely had an influence, you know, because Steve saw saw the play. But um, yeah, and then I've been back on stage a few times doing some pieces over like uh, Southwark Playhouse and and sort of quite intimate theatres. Um, I really I really miss theatre, especially in this environment now where where you know where the, we've got all these lockdowns and stuff it's a it's an industry that's really suffering but i love screen work too I'm, i've been really fortunate to do a few films over the years and and uh, and got to work with some amazing people in in doing those jobs including some directors that i really really admire um so i feel very fortunate to have done that how often um do people bring up the rejects when you're doing any of this stuff it's weird i think guys of like my age now who are like my peers as actors and i see on jobs when we get to know each other they tend to go you know i used to watch that when i was young and it always surprises me because i didn't have nickelodeon and so i didn't have the experience of being like a fan of the show in any way i couldn't i just had my experience of 
what a laugh it was making it um and and no real concept of of like people would obviously recognize us and stuff like that um but i had no concept of what it was like to to consume all that material and see what it's like and, and and obviously fall in love with those characters or not you know as, as the case may be so yeah it's quite interesting to hear you know people that have seen it and i think also people that expect me to be just as sort of london or just as you know that there's a yeah i i think it's it's just you know it's weird isn't it it's people who've who like these shows or watch these shows you know it's uh you're not going to satisfy every every need on them uh, but thankfully i've got a motor mouth just like jason so it's okay but um yeah i, I i've been lucky i think to work with a lot of british actors over the years who who did watch it when i worked on on the promise with peter kosminski years ago it's a wonderful drama and um a, a few of the the central cast members, uh, Max and and stuff, were had, had been fans of the show, so it's really lovely to to chat with them about it. Um, but not so much in the American projects that I do like; they don't tend to have a clue, uh, obviously for obvious reasons. Um, but yeah, it's good fun. It still amazes me now that although it was Nickelodeon's first kind of UK project, yes, and it's sort of fronted by. Um, american kind of influence and yet it is so british yeah in the way in in which it just kind of came about and ev everything just the subject matter i think although i always think uh, that that show kind of transcended football you know it was about lots of different things as you say with your character descriptions and with that in mind and i asked this i know you've listened to previous interviews you probably know what i'm going to ask here but uh if somehow we could take a peek into Jason's world right now, where do you think he would be? Oh, gosh, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I forgot you like to ask that. God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's a weird one, isn't it? I think, if I'm honest, I think Jason w would have been a big success. And part part of me thinks it's because he could just talk his way into and out of anything. Um, and there's a lot of people that love that kind of bullshit. And so I wonder whether he'd have just, look, he wasn't the brightest. Well, he wasn't academically bright, we could say, but he probably was quite sharp. I guess I wonder whether he would have just sort of gone and become like, you know, one of these like early burnout traders, you know, I wonder if he'd have become a city boy or an estate agent. And really, like, used his his the gift of the gab to sort of get ahead. Maybe like a city trader done really well. It wouldn't surprise me, like you know, if it would you know if he had like a kind of sociopath career where he's like a city trader earns loads of money, then ev then gets found out. <laughs> Everyone realizes <laughs> that he's just actually a bit of a you know a bit of a lunatic, um, and then sort of maybe retires young. I don't know really. Um, because there's a, definitely a version of Jason as well that's just running the local burger van, um, <laughs> and so it's a it's a hard one. I'd I'd say optimistically, I'd love it, you know, if he if he did quite well for himself, but I don't think that would be the end of the journey. I think he's the sort of lad that might reflect on on making it in speech marks and realizing that it hasn't it's not all it cracked up to be. And what he really missed is just playing football with his friends. 
Um, yeah, that that's a really interesting analysis, <laughs> and uh, I I think it's it's one that can come from you because you read all the character bio and you've obviously had time to yeah. you know. I I realize I I sprung that question on you, where, but where, it must where, sometimes. Sorry, what, do you, what do you think he'd have, what do you think he'd have done? Because I think that's quite interesting. Well, a lot of the answers um, that I've received have been around them somehow going into football and being successful mm. in football. But like you say, I, I am in agreement with you that I think as a character, um, he had an ability to uh, kind of talk his way out of things. Yeah. And, um, you know, very much the gift of the gab, uh, the, the motor mouth, you know, the mouth as, as the, <laughs> he was sometimes called. And there are certain jobs in which that is very handy yeah. um but you know that's a I, I, I again i will say it again i i think it's a good analysis <laughs> of it um i i don't think he would be writing his uh, autobiography that's right like uh, yeah. like bill said yes. about his character <laughs> yes <laughs> i mean wherever he is i hope he's doing okay and it, you know I, th- I hope he's um i hope he's all right you know and not not too washed up like in um in cobra kai or whatever but um yeah, it would be fun to think about what he's up to. Yeah, I'm sure there's some fan fiction somewhere. Um, yes. There must be. <laughs> yeah, if yeah. not, if not yet, soon. Possibly, yeah, possibly <laughs> off the back of this. We'll have to wait and see about that. Well, Martin, it's been an absolute joy uh, to talk to you about this because, like I said, I, I've been a fan since the beginning, and I've done these. Uh, interviews and yeah. I never expected to be able to you know I never thought as like a, a a 10 11 12 year old I'd never get to you know I'd never thought I'd be able to to talk to the cast members that were in the screen hmm. uh, so it's uh, it's been absolutely wonderful well, and, and thank you thank you for joining us no thank you for for, for asking me to do it and uh, I hope we I hope we didn't disappoint in real life but it was uh, it was a good fun time so thank you so much Jamie and thank you for for everyone who watched it back then, it's um, it's still a, a very fond memory for me, um, even these days. So yeah, thank you. Thank you once again, Martin Delaney, for joining me for this episode of the Nineties and Noughties UK podcast. To you, the listener, who would you like to hear me interview next? Let me know by all the usual channels. Thank you for listening to 90s and Noughties UK, a podcast on UK pop culture of the 90s and 2000s. Please remember to rate, comment and subscribe on your favourite podcast provider. If you want to contact the show, email 90sandnoughties at gmail.com, tweet us on at 90 UK on Twitter, or check us out on Facebook, 90s and Noughties UK. 